11 goals in two games. Six against Red Star Belgrade, five against Lyon, the second best team in League One after us. Ask Manchester City. But still controversy, still drama, still tension. Oh my, this is PSG talking. Hello everyone, we are back this week with Kose and Mark, the, the master of the small talk is now mastering in the big talk. Mark, thank you for coming. It's unusual yeah. and we love it. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I mean, this is usually a break glass sort of emergency kind of deal, but I like kind of coming in when uh, when the house is on fire and making sure everyone gets out safe. So, And your house uh, was nice on fire. Your house <laughs> was on fire not that long. And I came and uh, I was the, the fireman. I, I, re- <laughs> I recorded a small talk, my first and last small talk. Because that's never going to happen again. And, oh, uh, I thought you were great, Guillaume. Oh, I, I, oh thank I, you. You were, you were very good in that. Don't sell yourself short, sir. And uh, Kose. Everybody knows Kose. Where are you this week, Kose? To, Hello. Uh, I'm here in Missouri. Oh, in Missouri. Okay. All right. Uh, this week's menu, we're going to have Paris Saint-Germain, Red Star, Belgrade, 6-1. And the, the growing scandal that... The, what, what's the scandal? Is, is the scandal is the corruption, the rumors of corruption, or is the scandal the way the media talked about it? We'll debate that. We'll talk about Paris Saint-Germain OL, which was a few days later after the Red Star Champions League game. Uh, we will preview the upcoming PSG Napoli and uh, Marseille PSG. Um, we may talk about the progress the progresses made by Marquinhos as a defensive midfielder. We may talk about um, Neymar playing as a 10 and what he does for the team. We'll see how it goes. We may talk about Cavani's form, which has been poor. Um, we, we, we're, we're done with the, uh, the order of talk. You talk, then this guy, <laughs> then that guy. We're going to be a bit more, more spontaneous. And um, as usual, though, I will put things in perspective um, by talking about the Paris Saint-Germain Etoile Rouge de Belgrade, if I can find my notes, that is. Uh, the game took place on October 3rd. Paris won 6-1. Neymar scored a hat-trick, uh, interesting hat-trick. Uh, Cavani scored a Cavani goal. Di Maria scored a Di Maria goal. And Mbappé scored a goal. Uh, Marco Marin, who's the only good player in that team, scored an interesting goal at the 74th. It all started at the 20th minute. Uh, free kick, Neymar, gorgeous. He scored another one at the 22nd. And his last one, of sub- sublime free kick again at the 81st. Cavani scored at the 37th. Di Maria at the 41st. So Paris came back uh, home at halftime uh, with five goals in, uh, in the basket. 
and the second half only uh, four goals in the basket. Sorry, in the second yeah, half, four. Uh, Mbappe seventieth and Neymar eighty first. Uh, I assume both of you have watched the game. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 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 And I gave some of my thoughts, so let's uh, let's let Kose go for it. take this one. Kose, pardon me. You go for it. What What do you right. think go about the it. game? Take it, Kose. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, well, I was actually kind of nervous going into this game because yeah, um, we had seen Red Star shut out Napoli before. I saw the highlights of that game, and they had so many chances um, that it, it, I honestly thought that maybe maybe Red Star would come to the park and do something interesting. So I wasn't completely afraid, but I was kind of nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even in addition to that, if you think about the way in which PSG started the Champions League by losing to Liverpool, I, I think uh, that was our fourth straight consecutive loss in Champions League. It so it was really important that we get this win. And to see the way that this team were able to... Um, I think we talked about this during the game. After Neymar's first goal... PSG just kept on, kept on, kept on going. And I think that nervousness from the beginning left the squad after that goal. And we just saw a show of pure football. Um, but I, I, I still think it, uh, it's, been a, it's been a little sad that it's been denigrated a lot by media um, when we think okay. about all of the things that it's, that's been said about the match allegations and, and Red Star being involved in that. Yeah, I, I think what you're describing, Kose, is sort of the sort of Paris Saint-Germain and the Champions League in general, which is when they get momentum, they they just can get on a roll and they can get into a rhythm. And we know they can do that. They've been doing it for years now where you get that Neymar free kick goal and all of a sudden the whole team just sort of relaxes a little bit. The passing becomes a little crisper. They're moving a little better. And they just overwhelm a very, very, um, let's call them defensive-minded team that really didn't have the the ability to sort of answer back and counter in the way that you would have to against a team like PSG in a game like this on the road. So once you had that first goal, and especially once you had that second, there, there was no way Red Star were going to be able to sort of touch them. So it just became damage control for them. And that's where I think PSG really kind of thrived in that game, where... Once they get on top, they can really start to beat on you as a, as a club. The issue is when they go down or when they are facing a struggle. Can they turn it around and can they get that rhythm off of something negative as opposed to sort of front-running the way they were able to do in this game? But I have to say, encouraging to be able to win a game that you absolutely had to win. A draw here would have been a catastrophe. Hell, even 2-1 would have been a catastrophe, in my opinion. This is exactly what it needed to be. You have to, in the Champions League, in the group stages, it's about winning your home games, and it's about blowing these bad or not as good teams out. So, mission accomplished. Sure. Um, Oh, I'm going to give the lineup in the the goals, because it's kind of important, especially uh, with Tuchel. Areola was back uh, keeping our goals. Meunier, Kipembe, Silva, Bernat. Verratti, Rabio as a double pivot. Mbappé, Neymar, Di Maria. And way, way up front, Cavani. So a 4-2-3-1, uh, which, yeah, kind of 4-2-3-1. It's, it's, 
it's becoming pointless to give really a formation because there's, there's such differences when they have the ball, when they don't. Uh, so it's hard to know exactly. But the only two real midfielders were Verratti and Rabio. Di Maria sliding up and down, depending if we had the ball or not. Neymar all over the place. Mbappe barely defending and Cavani way up front. Uh, what do you guys think about the formations? If now that I'm saying it's worthless talking about it, let's talk about it. Sure. Uh, I would say that it's what you have to do, especially since you don't really have a third um, quality midfielder to throw in there to play, let's say, a 4-3-3 or a formation like that where you can have um, a defensive mid sit in front and let Rabio and Verratti sort of go ahead. You don't really have that ability to do that. So playing with two midfielders and your two best midfielders is probably the way you have to go. Essentially, you have to put your best 11 on the field. And their best 11 includes Di Maria. It includes Cavani, Mbappe, Neymar. It doesn't include a guy like Lasana Diara or Marquinhos playing defensive mid. It includes Verratti, so, too. Yes, that's what I mean. Like, Verratti oh. and Rabiot, your two best midfielders, right. you, have to have, you have to have them on the field. Hmm. And if you don't have a third midfielder that's sort of near that quality or can sort of right. hold their own in a major game, then don't you don't put one. one. Don't yeah, put yeah. them on the field. Right. You play with what you have. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Emery made that mistake last year when he tried to play Lachelso at the six. Right. And it just blew up in their face because he just, at that point in his career, the kid just wasn't ready to play in a game like that in that position. So I think the one thing you have to say about Tuchel right now is that he seems like somebody who knows his limitations and understands how to set the team up in a way that gives him at least the best opportunity to win the game. And you, you felt you feel like there isn't this sort of push and pull between, well, this guy thinks he should be playing, and we have, you know, for years we've had this issue with politics and who wants to play and who's supposed to be playing and, how do we find a spot for Tiago Mata and how do we find mm-hmm. a spot for this guy? And I feel like he sort of went, okay, here's how I get my best 11 out there and I'm going to go with it. And the people I can bring off the bench, I can bring Draxler off the bench. I can bring Chopo Moting, believe it or not, off the bench. They'll give me some quality minutes. They won't, um, they won't be an embarrassment. It's not a large drop off in the quality. So if we're talking about the lineup, I just think he's doing what's necessary to put the best 11 out there for whatever that best 11 is on that particular day. Right. Kose, do you agree with Mark that there's, there's less politics now? Uh, yeah, see? yeah. No, I, I agree completely with what Mark said. Um, I would have gone exactly with that same 11. Uh, we know Red Star was going to be very defensive. They were going to drop back, use big, big bodies uh, to stop to stop the and ball they, from advancing. They did so the first 10 have, minutes. Yeah, yeah. So they did, they did. So to have players like Neymar and Di Maria, um, it's very important to break those spaces down. But you can even see Tuchel going even further by... Um, I don't know if he started Kimpembe because of uh, Marquinhos uh, not being uh, fit. Um, but I think it was a tactical decision. And I think and I think the tactical decision is a, is a, um, a fantastic decision because Kimpembe has, I think, much a much better outlet than... Than Marquinhos, 
and against a team that's not gonna that's not gonna be uh, turning your defense as much. To have a player that has a better passing range, I think is even better. So I would have gone exactly with the same formation. And that's why I agree with Mark um, that I was happy to see uh, Tuco go with both Rabio and Verratti as a double pivot rather than try to adapt some other midfielder into a 4-3-3. Let's talk about the, the lineup, the players. I found Burnett excellent during this game. I found Di Maria doing a wonderful job of Half I'm a midfielder and I have to do some defensive work using, you know, I'm, I'm not going to win a lot of duels, but I'll position myself always where it matters. And then on, on attacking transitions, I'll become a sort of winger and I'll be, I'll be there to supply Neymar, Cavani and Mbappé. I mean, um, I liked every single Paris Saint-Germain player during this game. Who did you like? Who didn't you like during this game? All right, yeah, no, I was just going to agree with uh, Guillaume because I am so glad, just like you said, um, Bernard was amazing in this game and I was hoping he would be um, because he was looking kind of shaky lately. Uh -huh. So to see him being able to actually develop his game and we know that Juan Bernard is a defender that loves to attack um, and he uh, even has, I think, better qualities attacking than, than actually defending. Sure. Um, But but he, as I agree, he was absolutely fantastic during the match. And for me, well, it, it's clear. Um, it's, it's, an, it's an easy option to say what I'm going to say. But for me, I absolutely love Neymar. Um, because yeah. for so many years, I feel like we've seen PSG struggle to break these strong, compact teams. Um, we kind of did it better with Ibra. Then he left. We suffered a bit more. Um, but now with Neymar, he's just able to ping passes where nobody can see them going. He's able to move defenses, uh, change change um, change of pace, a, a, a quick change of rhythm, and to see him able to create all of that football and complement with the rest of the team that was, like you said, Guillaume, doing an excellent job. I was very happy to see him specifically playing that role in the team. Yeah, I would agree, I'd agree with the, obviously with the Neymar stuff, but I just want to just quickly on Bernat. I I feel like in modern football with the financial fair play rules the way they are, that it's going to be really hard to sort of build a complete 11-man team with no weak links at all. Like, I, I generally feel like Real Madrid the last few years is going to be like the last team that could really build an 11 with really no visible weak link. Good like, point. you could sort of say, maybe, eh, maybe this guy's not as... Mm. But, Really, realistically, you look at that 11, that 11 is, there's really no holes there. So if you're going to go into these Champions Leagues, you're going to have a player or two starting for you that is not of the quality of the mm -hmm. rest of the other guys. Right. And in this case, it's probably going to be Juan Bernat. And I'm assuming that in later Champions League games, and if we get into the into the knockout stages, he's going to be the one playing there. And he's not going to be this all-world great left back. He's a very talented offensive player. I already like the way he sort of spaces the field and passes. I think he's good in possession. He doesn't turn the ball over like Kurzawa does over and mm -hmm. over and over again. Mm -hmm. He can pass out of his own end. He's not going to make silly mistakes in that way. The problem with him is he's a bit undersized. Actually, a lot undersized. <laughs> and he's just... He's just not a good defensive player a lot because of his size. Well, look he's at Verratti, though. Sometimes positionally, he just gets... 
Yes, but the difference between Verratti and Bernat is that Verratti has that sort of he has that sort of natural instinct for it. Well, like, you can he you can be up, acquired. He, he grew up playing defense. He can be acquired. Bernat has st- he, started uh, using his body a little bit, like Verratti a little does. Bit. You know, and that works. A little bit, I agree. Yeah, I agree. You can, I you can learn from uh, from our best uh, midget. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, Verratti is impressive. Yeah. He has this very particular way of tackling, which is, I'm calling that a full body tackle. Yeah. He, put, he falls down on the ground and his body is like a barrage in front of you. And, uh, well, you can jump above him, but the ball can't. So that's how he gets the ball back all the time. <laughs> and I've seen, I've yeah. seen Bernard does that a bit and he's great. And then, and he's, he's, he had a really solid game for the first time. I agree, but I think you would also agree that if there is a weak spot in the 11, it, right now, if, if sure. all things considered, it's probably going to be him. But my point being is, he doesn't have to be all-world. He just has to know what to do in the situation that he's placed in. Like, you just don't want to see that guy crumble under pressure. That's where the issue comes in. When you see him commit that foul against Liverpool in the... Mm. In the, in the Champions League, that's those those type of moments are where you go, okay, is this guy a liability in, in pressure situations? Well, if according, according solid, to uh, Honest, Julio Honest, I don't know if you read the Julio Honest statement at, at the press conference yeah. for Bayern Munich. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ugh. Oh, my God. He, apparently, he's the reason why Bayern Munich couldn't. Make it in the Champions League, but yeah, 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 Baba, yeah, yeah. But bullshit, I, I think bullshit. I think he can he can get there. It's just whichever way the it's he's still young. Way the scale tips, yeah, he's, he's still young. young. He's still like twenty, twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, twenty four, twenty five, something like this. Yeah, he can learn if he plays more. I mean, the, he was bought by Bayern Munich. Uh, even if he, he became a third choice, he was never a first choice. He was a second choice, and, and then Alba rose from you know, B team to all the way to the top team. And he's one of the best uh, uh, in the business. And, and Bernard ended up at the third choice. He's still a third choice at, at Bayern Munich. It's at it's yeah. international level. Um, he can improve, but we know defensively. Yeah. He, yeah. that's, that's a, that's a problem, but yeah. good point. Very good point. Any other player? I love Di Maria. I love Bernard. I think Meunier is at hundred percent physically. And he chose, um, yeah. You, yeah, he's you looking better. He, he's looking like he's starting. To, he's starting to make the runs again. But um, can we can we all agree on? Because hey, so far we've been agreeing on everything, and and that's not good. That's we should yeah. find a disagreement. We need conflict. We 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 will. Uh, Cavani we though. Cavani though. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Ah, that was exactly what I was gonna say right now. Um, after Mark said we need conflict, and I was gonna ask you guys. Because there was that image circulating in social media that you probably guys saw too about the percentage of pass that each player gives the other one. Yeah. Uh, aye, it aye, was aye. like, yeah, like Neymar's was like 25% to Mbappe and Mbappe was like 35% to Neymar, but none of them even reached 5% to Cavani combined. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and it's clear why, because we know Cavani is not the type of striker that will, uh, well, even though he proves us wrong sometimes. He's not usually the type of striker that creates play, um, especially because of his touch. But what do you? I mean, what do you guys think about this? I I didn't see any major major liability so far, but having a striker that's not able to connect with the other wingers also might seem like a problem. Hmm. It's a hard one for me. 
I, I think it's the best in the business by his movement. And, and I'd, be, I'd be more than willing to debate anyone on this. Cavani, Cavani's movements without the ball are unbelievable. Unbelievable. He's got that incredible intelligence. He knows how to move, either to call for the ball for himself or make a diversion, which is what norm, a normal striker does. But it's an art with Cavani. And this... When you have two unbelievable players or three, by creating these movements, by dragging one or two central defenders with you, you open up even more the defense to Neymar, Mbappé, and, and uh, Di Maria. This is huge. But at the same time, if you cannot, if you cannot do one-two touches, at the same time, if, when you have the ball and you come towards the box, you're never going to be able to do the right pass at the right moment. That's a problem. So I'm, it's very difficult. I love, I love Cavani, but yeah, it looks more and more than, you know, that there's an issue here in the higher stage of the Champions League, if thank God we get there. That's going to be um, a difference between, between winning or losing a game. And I think um, the, the best central defenders can really uh, anticipate Cavani's movements. Um, that's the number one strength of Thiago Silva anticipation. When in the in the higher stage of the Champions League, you're going to deal with world class central defenders, and they will anticipate his movement. So if we have that, um, um, you know, we we don't have that available for the team anymore. What's left? A great sense of goal, sure, but now we're almost without a player up front because he's completely overwhelmed by the central defense. That's a problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm isolated. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think this is a good way to sort of transition into the Lyon game, and we can kind of circle back to the Red Star uh, extracurricular nonsense a little <laughs> bit later. Because you saw it on display, I think, the issue that Edinson Cavani has with this team, which is, one, his touch has never been, let's say, consistent. Um, He's obviously great with his movement, and he's a – Really, really good finisher on his best day in front of goal. There's times where he'll miss sitters, and then there's times where he'll hit back heels and like falling down. He'll tip it off his like, you know, tip it off his shoulder and in. He's just he's got this weird. He's this just sort of weird player that's been consistently good for like six, seven years now. And there's a lot of things that you look at Edinson Cavani and go. He's not particularly a great athlete. He doesn't always have the best body control. But then he'll just have these. But then what I'm saying is he'll have these moments more times than not where it's like only maybe him and like two other players in the world can do what he just did right there. Yeah. And that's his that's his genius, which is he'll give you that moment of brilliance. If you remember not to bring up the six one, but the one in the six one was Edinson Cavani basically taking a volley and putting it right underneath the bar for the goal. Like, that goal, like, Edinson Cavani can score that goal and maybe, like, three, four other people in the world. So I I, I want to preface it by saying that. But what you saw, I think, and what you are seeing is put yourself in the mind of Neymar. Neymar has the ball, and he's getting the ball around midfield or so, and he's right now being tasked with sort of initiating the offense. And he has these two choices in front of him. He can either pass the ball to Edinson Cavani, who doesn't always have the most reliable touch in the attack. 
and he's a little bit slower than he used to be, and he's not always exactly where you want him to be. And if you don't pass it exactly where he's going, then you really don't have much. Yeah, he'll lose it. He'll lose it. He'll lose it. Or you pass the ball to this, as uh, Guillaume has described people sometimes, V8 leader engine just roaring past people who has this deft touch who can recover if the ball's not passed exactly where it's supposed to be. And he basically tears defenses apart. Like, he, him and Neymar together, without Edson Cavani on the field, ripped Lyon apart. Like, just completely tore him in two. Now, part of that was because it was 10 on 10 and there was a lot more space. But still, like, four goals in 13 minutes, and it could have been, like, seven goals in 20 minutes. Like, this, they have this chemistry and rhythm that you don't really want to mess with because it fe- you feel like they're figuring out what their roles are. Edison Cavani in this situation has to sort of fit into what those two guys are doing. So if he's comfortable with sort of being an off-ball movement guy who will get his occasional touches in the box, then so be it. But if he's not comfortable with that, if he thinks he should be more involved in the build-up and the attack, I don't think the evidence is bearing that out. Okay, so let's let's have some perspective on what we're saying. Are we saying that there would be a, a player better than Cavani we would fit better to work with Neymar and Mbappe. We may be saying this, we may not. I think Tuchel is getting the best out of the three players up front. Cavani is unbelievable for certain things, better than most other strikers on earth. And some aspects of his game, uh, not as much. Um, if, like Mark just said, he's comfortable being the, the forgotten forward up front, that's a killer in the square. I mean, his finishing is absolutely unbelievable in the square. He'll just put it in. And he loves dragging his central defense around, opening up for the other team and not getting balls from Neymar, not getting balls from Mbappe. It's sort of working. We are talking about two games back-to-back, 6-1 yeah. against Red Star Belgrade, 5-0 against Lyon. And we're complaining that freaking Cavani is not good enough play, <laughs> playing passes <laughs> with Neymar and Mbappe. This is all spoiled, oh, all yeah. spoiled brats we have become, guys. Yes. So well, it's, it's, kind it's, of, it's kind of working. To, I do think it's important to mention it, though, because just two years ago, this guy was scoring 49 goals and the central focus of the entire offense and the entire team. Yeah. So I think there is something to his diminished role being an issue that you address. But I'm I'm with you, Guillaume. This is working. It's working. So it's it's working. So my whole thing is if Cavani's cool with it, he's cool with it. Yeah. If he's not, then quite frankly, you could get somebody for less money to do a similar job to what maybe not as good, but a very similar job with a better value on your books. Because remember, this is a club that still needs to balance some books here in the next couple of years. So are we paying Cavani 10 million euros a year to basically be a three, a third option in the attack? Like, is it a luxury we can afford to have? I think these are questions worth asking, even if we think right now that he's the best option, and I think right now he is. Well, I mean, he has no, he has no replacement against, except Mbappe right now. So yeah, he sure is. Yeah. Um, he's 31 yeah, years old, so for the future, we may raise that question again. Right now, there's, there's no question. I'm sorry, I, I cut you off, Kose. 
Oh, no, no, that's fine. Um, I was just going to play devil's advocate because, for me, I feel like, yes, Cavani has been working and we've seen... Um, well, first of all, we all love him as a player and he's uh, proven that his professionalism is unparalleled in I the club. Him. But um, talking more in a footballistic sense, I think that... Um, Going back to what you said earlier, Guillaume, when we do advance um, to higher stages of competition and phase world-class centre-backs and phase world-class teams, will this still work? Well, we have to see. Um, so far, it, it has. Um, so it, it's, it's giving positive signs. Like you said, 6-1 against Red Star, 5-0 against Lyon. So we shouldn't complain as for now. Yeah. Um, but but just like Mark said, um, if you put um, Maxim Shupomoting uh, as an as a number nine, he can probably pivot a lot better than Cavani can because his first touch is a lot better. Not to say that he can contribute in the build up as much, but he can get the ball back to the players who actually know what to do with the ball a lot easier and break defenses that way. Did you so, see the goal he scored for Cameroon? Yeah, exactly, exactly, Oof. exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Oof. So, to okay. see, yeah, and, and he's been in good form lately too, so I hope to see more minutes from him because he could become a tool that we might need later on in the season. I think with Chopo Moting, I think you were going to go there. I just want to be quick on him. Uh, he's been obviously better than anyone thought he was good, more valuable at least than anyone kind of thought he would be. And I think this is an example of Tomas Tuchel's uh, foresight in sort of understanding some of the things that PSG needed as a squad. And we can get into a long conversation about Henrique and all that stuff, but I, we can maybe save that for another time. I think that last year they missed a player like Chopo Moting. Like, they didn't have a player that could come into the game and sort of do the things that Chopo Moting can do. And you felt like once the Cavani, once Cavani, Neymar, and Mbappe sort of ran out of ideas, you felt like there wasn't really much. It was basically just Neymar running into a wall or Mbappe running into a wall. And you just, there was no sort of plan B. And I think with Chopo Moting, and you saw it in the Liverpool game a little bit, he gave you something different. He did some different things that did, maybe didn't change the game, maybe didn't make mm. it easier for PSG to tie the game, but you felt like when he came on, PSG were a little bit different. And you can kind of... There was, I think, a game a couple weeks ago where they played Moting and Mbappe up top as sort of like a, like a, like a strike pair. And it was just kind of interesting to watch because you hadn't seen the flexibility that... Um, that they showed in this game, like, or that they've shown in the last month with this coach and this team. So I think that's another positive, but I just kind of wanted to ask you, Guillaume, do you think, what do you think we got out of that Leon game? Cause I feel like five nil wonderful beat the second best team in the league. But I, I kind of have this thing like that game was sort of just bizarre enough where I don't feel like we really learned a lot. You, you're jumping a bit ahead, Mr. I Mark. am a little you bit. Used, yeah. you, <laughs> you used to do your own podcast. Let's focus back on the Red Star game, and then we'll, we'll move right to the Lyon game, because I want right, to yeah. talk about the rumors of corruption. we got to right, we'll, talk we'll, about it. I'll table that question for a couple of minutes. Put it on the shelf if you can. I know you're yes, red hot. I will. Um, yes. So do you think um, 
there was something weird going on during the game. Um, I, I didn't. Before you answer, I'm going to give you the stats of the game, if I can. Uh, 75 to 25% possession for Paris Saint-Germain. 737 passes for Paris Saint-Germain. 264 red star. 34 shots for Paris Saint-Germain. 5 for red star Belgrade. 17 shots on target to 3. Uh, f- 13 corners to 0. 6 goals to 1. Even in League 1, it's hard to see that, isn't it? So, ah, weird, weird. Am I saying we paid Red Star Belgrade to <laughs> so that? No, that's not what I'm saying. Of course we didn't. Why would we? We don't need to. Um, to so, so to bet and make money on the bet? No, no. Uh, first of all, for the people who didn't know, there were rumors of a Red Star Belgrade official betting that the, his team would lose by more than five goals. And he apparently bet, I mean, that's what the rumor said, a lot of money. We still don't know who spread the rumor. But of course, in this day and age, with the type of, of football press we have, everybody fed on it. And now the French government, the police involved in so, some sort of, of police inquiry about what happened, um, Paris Saint-Germain has not been accused of wrongdoing. As a matter of fact, Red Star Belgrade has not been accused of wrongdo- uh, wrongdoing. It's still an inquiry, an investigation. Um, do you guys found something weird uh, during, going on during the game? And did you change your mind after hearing my stats? Um, I mean... I didn't see anything, anything that would, uh, like, I wouldn't have imagined anything like this uh, before the before the news came out. And I agree, I agree with a lot of what you said, Guillaume. I think this is mainly due um, to the fact that uh, the the fame that PSG has gotten in social media um, and the football press that we have in the in the in modern football. So I think it has been uh, blown out of proportion. But if it, there is some truth to it, um, we'll we'll have to see in the future. I didn't see anything in the field that might indicate something. Uh, you you saw, like you said in the stats, PSG was absolutely crushing. To have seven hundred passes in one match is absolutely uh, insane. Thirty four shots. Um, uh, Thirty four shots. Exactly. Those are just in, in, incredible, incredible numbers. So. Even if even if Red Star even if Red Star um, has something to do, which I doubt highly, um, I think it's clear to see that PSG uh, performed that to the level that determined that they would win six one. Right. No, I didn't. I didn't see anything special. I, the only thing is you could tell is that they, after being led two you know, you know back to back two goals by Neymar, they lost the the spark they had. They they kind of they they took it really poorly. And they never really reacted to that. But I never saw anything more than that. Mark, have you? Have you? Yeah, I, it, I think it played... You, what you just said, Guillaume, is kind of the point, which is once they got down 2-0, I think all of those numbers that you just described become more realistic. Because it's not like it was 0-0 at the half and then all of a sudden like the wheels came off. True. You had 21st minute, 23rd minute, back-to-back. A lot of teams in that situation, especially teams who have never faced the skill 
that PSG have. And let's be honest, Red Star has never played a team with that much skill. No. Napoli does not have the skill that PSG has. They're a very good team, but they're just they're not in that same category of player. No. So they don't have, they don't you, have Neymar when, and Mbappé up front. When you face the irresistible force and you get crushed, what are they going to do? Like, at that point, you're just sort of playing for survival. Now, let me back up a little bit, because I think, I think this issue is so convoluted, and it was so convoluted by Lequeep, because they, they didn't offer the keys that you need in a betting case. It's just a the, vicious, let's put it this way. vicious the, article. The, vicious. The, but the key, here's the thing, though. The thing you need in a betting scandal to make a betting scandal a betting scandal is a bet. Yeah, that would be a good start. There was no bet. Like if there was no, if there the French authorities, I, I'm not sure there's a there's a there's a uh, there's a acronym for whatever it was called, but they were saying no mysterious bets were placed the day of a match or the day before the match, and if somebody. In the Ser- if there was a Serbian going to a French betting place and betting five million euros, would That'd be someone a red not flag. be sus- <laughs> would that somehow not be caught? Yeah. Like, would there some somehow would someone not report that? And apparently, this was according to this article that UEFA knew about it like two three days before, mm. which, in my opinion, is really strange. Because if you're a Serbian official and you're going to try to pull off this, you know, major, you know, match fixing scandal and you're going to try to pull this off, who are you going to tell? You're going to tell nobody except for the people that need to know, which are the two, three players that you would have to have involved in this. Actually, you would have to have the entire team involved in it because if two to three players aren't trying and nine of them are, then it's sort of it makes your bet a little bit harder to accomplish because nine people are actually trying and there's two or three that clearly aren't. Yeah. So it becomes this sort of convoluted story of this unnamed official placing this bet that didn't happen or didn't appear to happen or didn't appear to be paid off, recruiting three or four other unnamed players to conspire against the other team and everyone else in the Red Star camp to throw the game by more than five goals to collect this five million dollar bet that would then have to be split up among like yeah, four it, it people. Makes, it makes no sense. And who it, started? It, it, who started it? Who start? Who broke the news? The wonderful ethical newspaper called L'Equipe. Yet yes. again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, on and on and on and on. For the past six years, the only daily sports newspaper in France has done everything it can to create trouble for Paris Saint-Germain. I, I don't know. I don't know what's behind this. This is becoming... I mean, the article was so insidious. The headline, you had to really read the article to understand halfway down that Paris Saint-Germain had nothing to do with it. And then you have yeah. that big headline, suspicion, with a picture of the game. And I mean, this is... And then, I mean, guys, we, we, we only have a good hour and there's 20 minutes left. Then there's the non-response by the club, um, which is a head-scratcher because, well, we know that 
you know, it's an image maker. It's a, the club is, um, you may have listened to our podcast about soft power and Qatar and Paris Saint-Germain. It's all to improve the image of Qatar. And clearly, this is not. Clearly, this is a, a direct attack to the image of the club. And you would think that the club would, would react strongly, very, very strongly. They did nothing so far. It's a head-scratcher. But we're well, moving but, away but Kim, with that, from with football. That, that's, the old, that's the old Shakespeare line of thou doth protest too much. Because mm. I think PSG are in this situation where if they, and it's the same thing with the financial fair play, they have to walk this line of defending themselves, but also not seeming like they're going over the top to defend themselves in a way that comes off more accusatory and more suspicious than if they had said very little. Throughout the Qatari era, especially Kalifi and especially with FFP, PSG have been measured enough where they're not sort of saying things that can be misconstrued in different ways. They've been very clear about it. And I think with their response to this, it's just, why, why make it more of an issue? They have, if the report has nothing behind it, and this was kind of one of those reports where you have this sort of firecracker going off, and everyone looks to it, but once the firecracker is done going off, there's nothing there. Like, it, and I think you've seen that there's been no real follow-up to this. Like, well, there's been no sort of... To tell. Ha- Who's followed up on this? Lakeep hasn't really oh, followed you mean no, up on this. By the this. media, by the media. No, no, they never do that. Why well, would they? That'd be professional. That'd be the right yeah, thing to do. No, yeah, what, there's no sort of... Again, they're not adding to the story. It's just a story that was thrown out there and just allowed to sort of ruminate and it almost leaves it up to your imagination as to what actually happened Mm. as opposed to offering actual evidence and proof which is why i think this is going to sort of go away in the long term unless there's actually something behind it but Mm. it really clearly feels like like there is nothing to it yeah yeah and Uh, and red star is going to play a game on wednesday they're going to play the remainder of their champions league games it's not going to affect anything hopefully if any if anything down the line it'll affect red star's future ability to play in Champions League. But you're right. This, this was basically a... This was an attempt to sort of mar what PSG did in that Red Star game and just sort of create this doubt and create this sort of intrigue, this sort of palace intrigue about Paris Saint-Germain. And sell papers. Sell paper and... and there and, you go. And uh, Kose, do you, do you have anything to add to the... A huge potential scandal. <laughs> uh, no, so I, I agree with uh, pretty much everything you guys said. I mean, um, we haven't seen any type of evidence. Uh, PSG has been pretty much on the clear since the start of the news. It's, it's um, like Mark said, it's to say, uh, like you said, I'm sorry, Guillaume, uh, to sell paper, clickbait. And we've seen this with many, many other things, not only... Not only something like this. So I, I guess that's why it's maybe not as surprising. And I do agree, though, with the stand of the club, which is we'll not say anything and let oh, the yeah. truth come out. Because if they, like Mark said, if they come out like too defensive, it may sound like they would be onto something. And I think it's a smart decision to try to keep it on the down low. So, You're a wise man. You're a um, wise man, Jose. I mean, it looks like it's going to blow over, which hopefully it will be. Um, I mean, I guess that's pretty much it. Uh, 
it, I think it's, it's clearly clickbait. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. Well, I'm going to tell you what the real scandal of this game was. And that's something quite amazing. Red Star Belgrade um, fans have been banned from traveling by UEFA because they're very violent. And there's, uh, they've been... Paris Saint-Germain in the past had some issues with you know, extreme right fans creating trouble. We know exactly how it can um, go. And there's apparently a hardcore fan base at Red Star Belgrade. You know, extreme right, uh, xenophobic, racist, all that stuff. So they got banned from traveling. Okay, the game starts. What do you see? About 2,500 Red Star Belgrade supporters inside Parc des Princes. I'm sorry, what? And what happened? Trouble before the game? Not during the game, but trouble also after the game. Fights between Red Star Belgrade uh, fans and Paris Saint-Germain fans. So they are banned from traveling by UEFA. There was no coordination with uh, the, the EU, uh, no supervision by Interpol, or I don't know which, Interpol, sorry. Uh, I don't know which, uh, you know, European police thing. How did they get the tickets? How did they buy the tickets? How they were allowed by Paris Saint-Germain employees inside the stadium? Why there was no intervention of anyone once they were inside the stadium to get them out since they were banned? That's a lot of questions. This is the real scandal. And we haven't heard absolutely anything. I've been, uh, uh, you know, Google keywording for the past few days, for the past, uh, since the game, basically, I haven't, I haven't read anything uh, of, of more than three or four sentences talking about this. This is the real scandal. Anyway, um, we will we'll try to follow up on these two, <laughs> on these two scandals in another podcast. Uh, but we got to move on. Paris Saint-Germain OL. A few days later, what a week. Uh, could we do it again? So, uh, to put things in perspective, uh, Sunday, October the 7th, at Parc des Princes, um, we welcomed the Olympique Lyonnais, which had a fantastic run, ask Manchester City. Um, they, they looked like they were back to their best. They, are, they can be a scary team. I think their um, attacking transitions are devastating. They have one of the most dynamic... <coughs> And an overwhelming uh, transition, attacking transition in Europe. They, it's incredible when they get the ball back. Uh, I'll give you an, a perfect example. And Dombele gets the ball, the ball back, gives it to one of the three up front, and you see three sprinters completely overwhelming any defense. And when Fekir is in the middle of those guys, in, in general, it's a goal. Anyway, um, I'll give you the lineup. Buffon was back in the goals. Interesting. Meunier, Silva, Kimpembe, Bernat. Same defense as a few days earlier. Verratti, Marquinhos in midfield. So Rabio was suspended, I believe, for this game. Uh, same offense, uh, same attack. Mbappé, Neymar, Di Maria, and Cavani. We scored five goals. And... Um, that was quite impressive. Someone scored four. His name is Kylian Mbappe. It all started with a Neymar penalty, ninth minute. And, um, well, then we know what happened at the 35th. Kimpembe um, got, I mean, that was the right call. 
when you see the slow motion, he was he was not in control of his tackle. Full tackle on the on the leg of the defender. That's a, that's a red. And then at the 45th, Toussaint was a very solid uh, DM from OL who um, who had the yellow at the 26th, had another yellow at the 45th. And both teams came back to the locker room, one man down, and Paris Saint-Germain with one goal up. And then there's a second half going on. And in that second half, it was <laughs> Mbappé show. 61st, 66th, 69th, 74th. Unbelievable. Four goals in 17 minutes. Oh, my goodness. Um, who wants to start talking about the game? Uh, why don't yeah, we start he, with you, Mark? He, he could have had more. He could have. He could. I mean, the number of passes of unbelievable offerings yeah. by, by it, it Neymar. It really was like, yeah. It, caviar. It was like, it was like a FIFA game. The, the, like the, game. the French call that a caviar pass. Neymar was on, he, he was, Neymar is back, guys, by the way. He's, he's, he's back at 100%. He gave caviar passes to Mbappe, who lost every single one-on-one. He lost four in a row with the keeper. And then suddenly, he snapped on. Uh, Mark, go, go for it. What, give us yeah. your impression of the game. Yeah, I was just saying it's it was like uh, it's like one of those uh, FIFA video games where you just sort of repeat the same sequence over and over again, and it's on like the easy level, so you can just kind of do it over and over again. They really were playing a video game in that second half, but I also wanted to make the point that Mbappe drew the penalty that led to the first uh, to the Neymar penalty. So he did. He did. In essence, he was responsible for five of the five goals. That's true. Um, but um, I felt like. This was, and this is why I was had that question for you about thirty minutes ago or whenever it was. Um, that I feel like once Neymar hits, puts that penalty in, that game kind of became a rock fight. In that you just felt like they weren't, they were just two teams hurling rocks at each other, just hard tackles, physical play. The game bogged down in the midfield, and I'm not sure PSG were particularly sad to see that. I think that strategically. They did not want to get into a game early on where they were chasing after Lyon and Lyon were able to just sort of run at them with impunity. Because if you go back to the last time these two teams played, Lyon was basically able to run at PSG with impunity. And PSG didn't really have the ability to respond back. I don't even, I actually think Neymar wasn't even playing in that game. That was, that was the game where Neymar wasn't playing. And Mbappe got hurt because Anthony Lopez basically took him out mm-hmm. on a on a one on one. So PSG essentially had no ability to respond and attack back. In this game, I felt like they were physical, maybe too physical. I sort of argued at the time that Kimpembe's could have been a yellow, but I'll, I'll I'm not going to fight anyone over that one. If they want to call it a red, whatever. But they That's didn't right. lose their head. They didn't lose their head. Correct. They went down to 10 men. They didn't sort of go back into a defensive shell. I thought they kept playing. And I think too many times when PSG face adversity, they try to go into this shell and sort of absorb all the blows and kind of cover up in the corner. I felt like they they, they tried to keep playing. And I think they got rewarded with that when Toussaint came off with the second yellow because they were at least trying to get the ball out of their own end. They were still playing them even though they were down to 10 men. And once you got 10 on 10, the field just opened up. 
and it gave all that space for Mbappe to run. And Neymar was able to step into space, which is when he's best. Neymar is best when he can step, as opposed to sort of running down the channel and sort of dribbling down the left side. I think he's best when he can step into the middle and sort of see the field in front of him, like a kind of like a NFL quarterback and sort of read who's open and read who's not and read everyone's runs and sort of figure out the game from there. Cause with all you could say about Neymar, the guy is a football genius. Like when he gets the ball and he can see the game, I'm not sure Messi's better than him probably, but not, not all by, that much not, better at this point in his better, career. Yeah. yeah. So the, the two, the two that, games he had between the red star and oil, Oh my God! Okay, Just, okay. But look at him—the ama- way he's am- sees the amazing. Field. He's amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. He sees it better than anyone else right now, and he sees Mbappe sprinting down. He knows how to weight the passes. He knows how to angle them the right way, and he just gave Mbappe chance after chance after chance. And eventually, you give a guy like that that many chances, he's going to score four of them. Like he gave him ten, and he scored four. So, you know, I, you can't blame him too much, but theoretically he could have scored seven. Yeah. If he was, like, really on his game. That could have been a seven-goal game, and we'd be talking about it as the greatest offensive game of all time. <laughs> so, but I wanted to ask you this, Guillaume, and Kose, you can come into this. I want to take this question off the shelf. Do you think because of the way the first half went and the fact that you went to 10-10, to 10, that did we learn a lot from this? Like... Did no, we learn no, no, anything no, we learn about nothing. PSG in this game? No. That, so I'm, I'm going to let Kose talk about the, the game and then I'll, I'll give you my, my answer. Kose, what, what, did yeah. you, what did you think about the, the 5 no? Yeah, um, I mean, I was very happy with the results, of course. Um, but it was, I was also, in a certain way, kind of disappointed with the match because the way that I was seeing this match before it would actually go through, it was I was thinking like this, okay, this is... Take two. Didn't work against Liverpool. We're facing another top-class team. Well, let's see what we do. And PSG started the match terribly bad. Yeah. Uh, for the first five, six minutes, they kept losing the ball all the time. Couldn't string five passes together. Mm-hmm. Um, Leon had an incredible pressure. So I said, all right, this is it. This is what I came to see. This is what I need to know PSG can get out of this. Yes. Bam. Ninth-minute penalty. So yep. Lopez, who had been amazing to that far, and who I thought was going to be one of the key pieces in Lyon, trying to get this game, suddenly gives PSG, who desperately needed a lifeline, the penalty. And I think that immediately puts uh, PSG into an obvious advantage that helps them adjust to the game and helps them play somewhat of a better football even though I still think Lyon is on top, and not to mention after Kimpembe's red, where they absolutely start dominating. Right. And and I was thinking, well, this is at least another test. Okay, we're one nil down. We're uh, we're one man down. We're one nil up. So let's see how we handle this. And and then Lucas Toussaint uh, gets sent off too. Yep. And that's when I come back to what Mark said, and that's why I think it was such a weird game. Yeah, because I think just everything—it was like a a perfect storm, you know. It was everything came together to create this score, and I think you can see that after, like you said, ten ten second half opens so much more space. You have 
four world-class forwards running at a defense that doesn't have one of the most important men defending them is not on the field anymore. So I can easily see... Uh, you, you saw Neymar, he was having fun. He was having yeah, fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so... Yeah, yeah. I, I completely, completely agree with you. I, I have the same... It's frustrating. Uh, it's, it's, we, we, got, we got, because of destiny, the Fekir injury. Um, Fekir was the only one who had the talent, the finishing talent. Unless the other players, Traore and, and Depay, are in a great day, they're not going to beat our central defense. Because um, Thiago Silva, you know, is on. He's been amazing, by the way, uh, the whole season so far. So it's a big game. Thiago Silva is going to be on. To beat Thiago Silva, you're going to need Depay or Traore in a great night. Uh, Fekir is a step above. And, and Fekir in a normal night, can, can beat, because he's an amazing player, can beat a world-class uh, central defense. He got taken out because of injury. And then we score that penalty. It's like we got... I, I'm answering your question now, Mark. Um, <laughs> we, we, we didn't learn anything because we didn't get the challenge we wanted, um, which is we are being dominated in terms of aggressivity like we did at Liverpool like what happened at Liverpool, because Lyon will do that. And for the past few seasons, they have. And they're on top of their game now. But they lack the great quality up front to put a goal in when Fekir is out. So how can we... And boom, penalty, we, we score. Nah, no, I wanted a real, real challenge. Um, Manchester, City, Manchester City got it. Look at the result. I mean, the first half... Guys, the first half OL did in, in City, oh my God. Everything that they were able to do at Manchester City, at the empty had, they were not able to do at, <laughs> at Parc des Princes. At Parc des Princes because Fekir got taken out and because every football game is a different story and we scored earlier and now it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a whole different story. Yeah. So no, we didn't learn. I I wanted to say this though, because I think this is kind of important, which is one of the things that I think I somewhat disagree with a lot of you guys on is that I feel like PSG are going to get uh, dominated at times in midfield. But I do think that if they have everything sort of work, if they have the right sort of structure ideas and plan going forward, I think that's okay. It's not Mm -hmm. ideal, but it's survivable because what they can do that very few teams can do is have a guy like Kylian Mbappe and Neymar. And in that game, Kylian Mbappe dictated the things that Lyon did wrong. He dictated the penalty. He got behind, he got a ball, he got a, you know, he got a, a long pass, settled it down and forced Lopez to try to go out to get him. And he's dictated that penalty. Then, the Tussart foul, he has the ball, he makes a little shimmy move on him, and he's about to get by him into the open field. Tussart makes a quick little tackle on him, a desperation tackle, because if he doesn't make that tackle, Kylian Mbappe is running 50 yards the other way. So I do feel like what we did learn, if anything, just to sort of play devil's advocate to my own argument, is that Kylian Mbappe, even when he's not finishing at 100%, even when he's not great in his first touch... He just changes the game. Like, you sure. can be 
he can be you can be a little shaky at times with what you have but if you have those sort of attacking players that can counterbalance that in different ways like Neymar counterbalances it not necessarily with his speed but with his intelligence and being able to spring attacks Mbappe beats teams with his pace and he beats them with the ability to make runs that are also intelligent as long not just pace, but intelligent runs. So, like, when I saw Lyon dominating with possession in that game, I'm thinking to myself, they're not really getting anywhere near goal. They're having a couple of chances, but it's not like they're bombarding you with with shot opportunities. Mm -hmm. As long as you're able to sort of keep the game in the midfield and not give them clear runs, over over time, your talent will take over. And... In this case, I do think the talent just takes over in the end when everything else sort of cancels itself out. And I think in PSG's case, they don't necessarily have to dominate in the midfield. And they, with the way they're constructed, they can't. They just have to cancel it out in a way where they're not getting completely pinned back. If they can win certain duels, not every duel, but they have to win enough of them. They don't have to win a majority of the duels, they have to win 35 to 40% of them. Mm-hmm. I see your point. And it, it, I, I think that they can, they can get by depending on the opponent. I, I agree with, with you. Ability. It's going to be proven though. Um, you know, yes, I we have, that I and, and that was a great game to see that. And that didn't really happen. Yes. And, and, and that's more what to shell. That's more how to shell sees football. But, um, Fekir stays. He's not injured by, by Silva's tackle. Different o- games. O- OL scores and ties the game. 1-1. One, one. Uh, 52nd minute. Stupid Tago Silva he, you know, try, tries a long pass. It hits the head of uh, Depay, I think. It hits yeah. the post and gets out. Um, it could have been in. 2-1 Lyon now. So in, in League One or in, in a championship, it, it doesn't really matter. But when it's a, a, a two-legged uh, 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 win-or-go-home Champions League competition, yes, you can probably score a few goals, but 3-2 at home, 2-1, uh, 4-3, uh, these are not great scores, um, you know. So yeah. You, we can outscore, but that will will it yeah. be enough? But I see I see your point, Kose, um Anything to to add? We could we could talk about player performances. Oh my God, we have passed the hour mark. We're gonna have to uh, to hurry up on other issues. Anything to add on the on the Paris Saint Germain Lyon game? I mean, I think we we all kind of agree. But go go for it. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't really have anything much to add to that. Um, more than than yeah, I agree. Uh, can can they do it uh, on a cold night in Stoke? Um, right. No, no. Uh, uh, I'm just I'm just talking about when we when we when we progress in the Champions League. Let's hope. Yeah. Uh, and we face better teams, and we are tied one one against Barca or Bayern or Manchester City at home. And Thiago Silva tries that long pass, and it hits the forward head, and it goes in. You're two one losing at home. Against a top class team, yeah. that can be very, very, very costly. Yep. Yeah, um, and I agree. I agree with that too. I mean, that's obvious. But I think what I also making that point, which is we are now at a point where I think we understand that with this midfield as it's currently constituted, we have no choice. Not, you yeah. don't have an option. We don't yeah. have an option. Your option is to risk 
to mitigate the risk and then to allow, once you mitigate the risk, to let your offensive firepower take over as the game goes on. Other team gets tired. They wear out on you a little bit. It just kind of is what it is. Is it ideal? No, but, you know, what are you going to do? Like, at this point, you're stuck with the hand you're dealt. Yeah. I think it's kind of like what happened at Liverpool. Yeah. So imagine yeah. now, imagine this team with a player like Ndombele. Imagine Paris Saint-Germain with, in, in the rotation, Ndombele, um, who, who is this force of nature with a good football IQ, decent short passing, decent long passing, decent shot, amazing physical uh, uh, presence, able to mitigate and help his central defense when we're being aggressive and attacked, like, like it would have been wonderful to have in Liverpool. Imagine this team with a player like this. Now, now we're talking, isn't it? And we don't, have, yes. we don't have that. Then we have a midfield. Then we do have a midfield. We need a player like this. And we don't you have think it. we could buy a loss of boat or something? Like, would that work? I don't know. I don't know. Because <laughs> I can't, I, like, I, it, it's great and all, but, like, it, and I've said this before in different places, but I kind of want to say it here. It's not, it's like, it's actually easier to get good attacking players than it is to get good midfielders because good teams do not let good midfielders go for, mm-hmm. you know, they don't let them go on the discount rack. Like, midfielders stay with clubs because they understand how valuable they are. They're the so heart like, of the team. That's your heart right there. It's a, it's a midfield. It, which is why it's like, if you're going to get in Dombele, you would have to pay. Absorb, well, first of all, you'd have to pay above. The reason Seventy PSG million. does... Yeah, the reason PSG don't get more French players is because they have to pay well above the market price to get them like that's the whole thing you ran into with Fabinho which is we were offering what 60 65 million for Fabinho and Liverpool comes in with like 55 and gets them because they'd rather sell to an outside the country club well, of course for slightly less money than to give them to PSG for more yeah. so you know you have to figure it out that way and that's why you see PSG are connected with the Sander Bergs of the world Good young players, but, you know, they're not finished products ready to plug into a roster. Well, there's and other think, issues, Mark. It's, it's that, you know, FFP issues, too. So yes, that, too. Can, we, that, can, we, can we pay saying. 70 million euros? Um, I mean, if, if Lyon, and we have no FFP problem, and if OL is, is willing to sell and Dombele for 80 million, we sh- this guy reminds me of uh, Michael Essien. Um, even better than Essien. Essien was the dominating force of midfields in Europe for a couple of years uh, for OL and then Chelsea. Uh, and and Dombele is, is similar. There's other players. Paredes, Leandro Paredes from um, Zenit St. Petersburg is an amazing player. And then there's cheaper options. Anyway, we don't know we if get, we're going to be able to get any yeah. of these players. We have no answer for our audience. We don't know ourselves what's going on with FFP. We know we're being messed with. Back to where, what we were saying, I think Tuchel is doing the best with the players he has, and we have no midfield. And when you have no midfield, yes, that's the way you play, yeah. At the same time now, the team, I think, has learned to suffer, guys. Could we agree? Mm. You, do you agree with me? I've seen Paris Saint-Germain suffer before the previous seasons. My God, we were bad at suffering. 
we would break on a regular basis. Let's rewind to the Liverpool game, which was not a good game by Paris Saint-Germain. We didn't have a good night that night. We, we, we didn't play really well. But for 60 minutes, we suffered without Liverpool scoring on us. We suffered, but we held. This is what you need to do in the Champions League to beat a great team. You're not going to go through beating a, a great team without knowing how to suffer. Perfect example, Real Madrid. Uh, rewind these past three seasons. Watch Real Madrid games in the Champions League. Some games, they got into a lot of trouble. They were being beaten, aggressed. They held, they held, they held, they held. They always went through. They, knew, they, they, they were, to me, the team that knew how to suffer the best. They had the players, you know, you put your head in, in your shoulders and you wait for the storm to pass. The storm passes, boom, you score. And uh, if we can do that, then Tuchel is proven right. We don't need a great midfield. I still doubt it, but at least we have learned to suffer. And if we can go through, let's, let's have a semi this year. We, would you be happy with a semi-final? I'd be delighted yes. with a semi-final. Yes. Kose, would yes. you be happy with a semi-final? I would be ecstatic. I'd be ecstatic too. I would. Yeah. Good transition to the next uh, big game. Not, I'm not talking about Paris Saint-Germain, Amiens. Even if, uh, doesn't Ganso play for Amiens now? Yes, that, he does. He yeah. does. And Ganso is a great friend of, of Neymar. So Who is currently on vacation in Portugal. In so Portugal. He will, be, he will not <laughs> be part of the festivities. No, he had a, he had a huge restaurant uh, 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 meal with 25 of his friends. There's pictures on, on social media. My God, it looked like an orgy. So no, no way he can digest. <laughs> he can like, digest. Yes. He can digest that food in time for the Amiens game. <laughs> no, we um, we're talking about the Paris Saint Germain Napoli game next week. And good news, there were uh, rumors of the Parc des Princes being banned because of the fireworks used by our beloved core fans. And UEFA decided not to ban the fans. And do you have, how do you say uh, a, a game without fans? What's the, the English expression? Like uh, OL had uh, in the Champions League. Like there's a term for that. Whatever. So it's reclo in French. So yeah. we will have the fans and a, a full Parc des Princes against Napoli. Because uh, you feel, how you feel that game coming up? Have you watched Napoli play? How confident are you? Um, go for it. Um, well, I think this is a hard one because, first of all, I think Serie A might be the Dusta League that I watch the least of all five. Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't really, I don't really follow Serie A that much. Um, now, having said that, I have, uh, I have been looking at Napoli this, this season, knowing they are in a Champions League group. They have fantastic players. Um, Milik has been starting to to be reintegrated mm -hmm. into this team, uh, doing what we know he can do. I think they stumbled in in at the first game when they drew against Red Star, but they they've shown how dangerous they can be, and they are an incredibly talented team. So we have to be extremely cautious with them. They beat Liverpool, um, and they will come to beat us uh, because because they need that win. 
um, to pass to pass to the next stage. And I think it's even more more crucial for PSG um, to win these games because that way you allow yourself to have an opportunity to overtake Liverpool on the last match. Um, so I I am kind of nervous. This is a very talented team, uh, but this is what I like. I I enjoy having tough Champions League groups. I think it, it it's an amazing way to prepare PSG for tougher challenges, and it's make it or break it. I know PSG is gonna have a uh, is gonna have trouble, like you said. They're gonna have to suffer. We saw them. They we saw them against Liverpool. They can do it, um, but of course, there's still many many things to to. Um, to, to correct. Hmm. I think talent-wise, PSG is on top. Um, and I think they should be uh, they should be on top at the end of the day. Um, at least at home. So I yeah. would expect a win at home and would be incredibly happy with a, with a win away from yeah, home. Yeah, it's wonderful that we, we, we're playing the game, the first game against Napoli at Parc des Princes. It's a really, really good thing. Uh, Mark? I would have been more worried if we were playing this game with uh, Sari on the other side of the touchline as opposed to Carlo Ancelotti, I think that Sari was um, really instrumental in sort of getting that Liverpool, that sorry, that Napoli team right to the brink of winning a Serie A title. Like, they gave Juventus a run to pretty much the very last week. And part of that was because I think Napoli under Maurizio Sarri had an identity and they had a bit of a style that I feel like gave teams trouble. And they're going to have some of that. And obviously they have a boatload of good to great players. I wouldn't say they have nearly the talent that Paris Saint-Germain have. One through 11, I think PSG, if we had to make a best 11, I think PSG get about eight or nine of the of the slots. So this isn't going to be about sort of a, a, a sort of the talent canceling itself out. It's going to be more about does PSG show up and do what it needs to do at home? Because yes, Napoli will give you a tough game. I have no doubt about that. They will. But PSG should still win this game if they're if they're as good as they think they are, if they're as good as we hope they could be, they should still win this game 2-0, 3-1 like, this is a game that they, worst of all, and I've said this already early in the podcast, to, to advance in Champions League, you have to win your home games. If you start drawing games at home, you're going to run into trouble. And PSG already won their first game at home. They're going to have to win this one at home, and they're going to have to beat Liverpool at home. So, I, I think they win this game. I, I look at Napoli, and I look at what they've done in the Serie A. I like... I might be old-fashioned, but I think goal differential actually is kind of an interesting sort of tell on these things. Of the top five teams, they've given up 10 goals in eight games. They've scored 15. Uh, that 10 is the most given up by any team in that top five. Mm. So they're not a rock-solid defensive team in the back. And if you're giving up 10 goals in Serie A, which is a generally a defensive league... Like, I'm not sure that they're defensively stout enough to stay with Neymar and Mbappe and Cavani for 90 minutes of a game. So oh. I'm not I'm not as concerned as Kose. Obviously, it's PSG. You never know. 
But I think this is a game they should, and I think it's a game they will win. I, yeah, and I was just going to say, I, I really agree with that part. Um, if you consider Napoli's fullbacks, I think they're playing high side, high side to the right and Mario Reed to the left right now. And they are very, very attacking right back. So you would hope Neymar and Mbappe and Di Maria are able to take advantage of those spaces that they will leave because they are very attacking-minded players. Well, I haven't watched them much, but I've read about them. Um, I'm looking at their stats. Um, first of all, it's an Italian team, so tactically, they're going to be right there. They know how to play football. They understand tactics and what needs to be done. After that, it's a matter of execution. Can they do it? As you guys said, the lineup is not super impressive, in, even if they have, they have some talent. They don't... Yeah. They, you know, they don't have world-class players. Um, looking at their um, Serie A uh, standings, after eight games, like Mark said, they, they scored 15 goals, but they got scored on 10 times. Uh, the last big game was against Juve. They went to Juve and they lost 3-1 after opening the score. But they, um, the game against Liverpool... They outsmarted Liverpool on, on a tactical standpoint, which is not generally not very difficult to do against an English club, but let's, let's, uh, let's move on. Um, they are a solid uh, group block, and if they manage to frustrate us, they can cause us a lot of problems. Now, that being said, we should be able to beat them um, I, I, yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, one no, two no, two one, seventeen no. It doesn't. We need we need the three points, and I think we'll yeah. we'll get them. Yeah, and um, right now you look at their top score. Lorenzo Insigne has six goals, which is topping the club. He has more than double the next. He has double the next guy on that list, which would be uh, long first name Milik. Oh, Milik. Oh, okay. Okay. Milik has three. Mertens has two. Uh, Zielinski has two. Um, so I would say that PSG usually do well when they're facing a team with sort of a central focus and attack. Like I feel like Silva and Marquinhos will be able to sort of take care of that. I mean, Napoli might get one, and I think that you know the way PSG are defensively, Napoli probably should get one, but. It's really hard, especially when you don't have world-class defending in the back, to keep Neymar and Mbappe from and Cavani from scoring two or three. Like, this is just sort of, to me, this is more sort of, if everything is as it should be, if each team is playing close to what their top level is, they just, I don't see Napoli having the horses defensively to, to hold PSG mm. down for 90 minutes and then get a couple of, you know, sneak a couple goals through. I, I, again, could it happen? Yeah. But if we're just sort of, you know, analyzing it from a distance here yeah. for the week out, I, I mean, logically, PSG have the advantages in this game. I think and they're at home. Yeah. Kose, do you agree on that? Do you, do oh, you yeah, see, yeah, definitely. And, and especially with the point about our center defenders, um, Milik is a, is a very large um, anchor nine, um, and they will try to use him as a pivot point to, have to, to, 
um, employ, the, employ the, the wingers in the attack. So I agree with what Mark said. If Thiago Silva and either Marquinhos or Kimpembe are able to keep him under control, they will stifle most of what uh, Napoli's uh, offense has been so far in the season. So um, I think that's re- a really important part of the plan um, Thomas Tuchel should employ in that game. But he may not play a uh, nine. Uh, he doesn't always play nine, if I understand well, with, uh, with Napoli. For example, I think against Juve, uh, let me see, when they lost 3-1 in uh, Juventus, the yeah. two up front were... So I don't know why. Maybe Milic was um, either suspended or, or, or injured or it was a tactical decision. But they played with Insigne and Mertens up front. So we don't know. Again, um, when you go... If you go online and you look at their games, it's never the same team, never the same lineup. They seem to have a great tactical yeah. flexibility. And Ancelotti is going to custom make a team to hurt us... The, the, the best he can. So it's hard to know who's going to play. Yeah. Uh, but we know that, guys, for only the second time, I'm not 100% sure I'm, I'm right, but I'll still say it. Only the second time st- since Trophée des Champions will have a midfield of Verratti and Rabio. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't seen Verratti and Rabio in midfield in a long, long, long time. So we agree that we should win. Uh, yeah. Let's yes. uh, let's keep going, Gasco. We are almost at one one and a half hours of of podcast. It, it felt like less. Yeah, no. It felt like half that. Time flies when you're uh, when yeah. you're having fun. Yeah. Um, let's uh, briefly preview the OM PSG game, uh, which will happen four days after the Napoli game. So on Sunday, uh, Sunday October the twenty eighth. Uh, at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. EST, uh, 2100, 9 p.m. in France, Marseille will uh, play Paris Saint-Germain and without any Paris Saint-Germain fans because, not because they're banned, but because there's Oktoberfest going on in Marseille and yet another event and yet apparently another event so the poor Marseille police is overwhelmed and cannot, <laughs> can, uh, cannot um, that's what they say, the guarantee secu- security for the Paris Saint-Germain yeah. fans. So the powers that be in the police said, okay, well, uh, we are not going to allow PSG fans to travel to Marseille. I have to say, I, I've stopped really caring about the classic because they just oh. they can't they just can't step up. <laughs> I don't I don't see how they're going to be any threat unless unless they're really on. And I would love for them to be really on. We need competition. We need our our traditional enemies to be on their best when they play us. We didn't have that against OL because uh, of the events we we talked about. Um, there's still a f- vague hope that Marseille can be somewhat of a challenge. 
But if you look back in history, in recent history, oh my God, they failed and failed and failed and failed again. Um, yes. What do you want? What I do you want to say? I think it's 10 games without without beating us. I think it's more. It's it's more. I think it's like it's 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 been since probably 2000. It's been a long time. Like well, let's been... Google it. I don't. I, I would say whatever. Uh, I would say probably eight or nine seasons. Um, Let's see. You think we come prepared? We come prepared, and we have these answers because we have a podcast about it. No, I don't remember last uh, victory by Olympique de Marseille. But whatever. Uh, someone go on Google while I while I talk. I'm, I'm uh, looking for it. Oh, oh thanks. It's, it's I know it was. I know it was three zero. I know it was three zero, but I don't remember. Ooh. I think it was that since Qatari the Qatari took over. I don't think it happened. I know it didn't. Uh, We've had a okay. So let's go through these. We had a we had some ties. Yeah. The last the, time they won was two, November twenty seventh, two thousand and eleven. Here we go. Would you like to know the goal scorers in that game? Go for it. All right. So we had Remy in the ninth. We had oh. Jeremy Menes in the sixth. So PSG took the lead. Marseille tied. Uh, Alex in the sixty first. Amalfitano in the sixty fifth. And oh my Ayu God. in the eighty fourth. Andre Ayu. Okay, I'll so, give yeah. you the. I found it. I'll give you the lineup for Paris Saint Germain. Coupe in oh, the so goals. Kamara so Sako. Sorry, three nil. Om. So those two goals were from the other game. Never mind. So it's just oh, those okay. three Marseille scores. So three nil. Kamara Sako is central defense. Armand Jallet on has left back. <laughs> Mathieu Bodmer and Makelele in uh, in 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 defensive midfield positions. Cessignon and Nene as wingers, Erding and Luindula up front. Uh, Marseille had Ayou, Valbuena, Samasa, Lucho Gonzalez, Aspili Quelta, Hilton Diawara, good pair, Cisse, who was back to a good level, Taiwo, uh, uh, and Mandanda <laughs> in the goals. My God. Okay. Um, yeah, you, you, you feel on the on the upcoming Classico. I I don't think I don't think they they have a chance. God, God I want Marseille to be good because France needs we do. a marquee. It needs a mark. The league needs a marquee match. Like in the nineties, you, you need it needs its classic. It needs what La Liga has. It needs what the Bundesliga has. It needs that marquee sort of everyone tunes in to watch this one game match mm -hmm. and PSG Marseille is the closest thing you have to it and for years and years Marseille have not held up their end of the bargain and they've you know bitch about it bitch about it for you know oh PSG with the money but yet they now have an owner who reportedly has money although Frank Bacourt did bankrupt the Dodgers once um <laughs> I, 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 which is hard to do. If you, if you're from America, you would get that. But the, to bankrupt the the Los Angeles Dodgers is a really tough thing to do. Like you really have to be trying. Um, but anyway, they have money. They have decent enough players where they should be. You know, they have players that are supposedly good. Dimitri Payet, Florian Tovan. Like these are legitimately at least decent enough players where. They can at home give you a game, and last year they did. They did. Like, 
I had fun with that one because at least, like, in that game, Marseille were really sort of chippy, but they needed to be chippy. They got Neymar on that uh, Clinton and G uh, flop, which I, I still think Clinton and G is a disgrace to football. I don't know why anyone would hire him to be on their football team. Because he's cheap but, now. Yes, there we go. Um, but still, like, that was a moment. Like, that game felt like the rivalry. And you have that last-minute mm-hmm. Edison Cavani free kick, and the whole place goes silent. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what that rivalry is about. That's what we need in the league gun. So I really would love for Marseille to come and show up in this game and actually give it a shot. Do I think they have enough? No, because right now they're playing um, the kid Bubakar Kamara and uh, Luis Gustavo as their center backs. Like, they're so thin at the center back position yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were even thin before because they were playing the ghost of Adil Rami out there. Yeah. And they also have, a, you know, they... they, they oh, my God. They, they, they have, like, uh, Morgan Sanson playing out there. They have Good the player. Japanese kid, Hiroki Sakai. Excellent they player, Sanson. Yes. They got, um, they got the Stroot Man out there um, playing midfield for them. Yeah. Um, and who's, then, who's, who's all right? These are players... Like they they're they're legitimate players on a decent football team. Like I I really wish they would be able to give it to us. I just don't see if especially if PSG is on a roll, especially if they go out there and beat Napoli. Mm. I think PSG are just going to go roll right over them. Like I hate to say that, but I I do think if they're on a roll and they're everything's moving well, they they should roll them. They I mean. That'd be awesome, though. <laughs> we, we, we're not going to get the, the challenge we need, but crushing them in Marseille is always a great pleasure, isn't it? Yes, it, it is quite It is quite all right. I, I can't complain about that. Unless, yeah. unless it is right before a famous game that should never be mentioned again. Oh, yeah, those were like one right after the other, weren't they? Yeah. Well, also, just to make this point, too, like, We talk about PSG not being able to get a midfielder. We also have to talk about Marseille not being able to get a striker. Like, they, why? They, you they, mean Mitroglou is not a striker? <laughs> um, he, he's, he's, <laughs> well, it's either him or Valer Germain. Like, yeah. Valer Germain's there because his dad played for the team. Yeah, well, like, like 20 years ago. Yeah, Germain is, 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 is all right. Mitroglou, um, yeah, okay. Well, they have Ocampos also on the left wing. You know, they have big holes here and there. But yes. overall, there's some talent there. They may be able to give us a little bit of a game. When you look at the, the names in the team, it's better than it's been yes. in, in many years. And Paillet, I would say so. Payet is back. Payet is back to a really good level. I love Dimitri Payet. So we can, a lot of people pronounce his name Payet. Uh, Payet. Yeah, Payet, Payet, bo- both, both are good. Um, he was back in the French jersey too, which, which was a, a nice thing uh, to, to see. He didn't play against Germany, but he was in the, in the team. We shall see. Guys, guys, we got to stop. Uh, we did not talk about uh, Kerr, uh, who's been very interesting. We didn't, we didn't talk about how crucial Marco Verratti is to the team. We didn't talk uh, about Draxler, who's been invisible. 
Um, we didn't talk about our youth academy players who, who started earlier in Ligue 1 and now they've been a little bit more in the shadow, but still, we still see them coming in and we're always happy to see such a thing. But I, we talked, I we talked we could, about... I think we could cover some of those in like a minute. I can go a minute. Jose go a minute. Go a minute, and then go we'll minute. hang, and, we'll, and then we'll we'll stop. I promise. Uh, okay, go for it. Let's go quick. I'll go for a minute. Um, Musa Diaby, excellent. Does exactly what they need them to do. Yep. Um, gives them great width on the wing. Julian Draxler looks like he's going to be shipped out at some point, but he's been a good soldier. Hasn't complained. Played his role. Um, Tilo Kerr. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's going to be a really good center back in two years. He's not a great center back yet. But I think it was worth the risk to pay the money for a guy that could potentially replace Thiago Silva two years down the line. Um, Marco Verratti, uh, heartbeat of that midfield. They have no midfield without him. With him, they have a somewhat of a midfield. Without him, they have no midfield. Uh, did I get all that? Uh, pretty much. Kose, your turn. Yeah, um, I agree. Diaby has been absolutely amazing uh, every time he plays for us. It's amazing. Um, It's incredible. Yeah, Bern- Bernard uh, has gone from, from better to worse, but uh can't expect from him that much because he hasn't been given as many minutes either. Um, I agree with Mark on Draxler, I, although I hope, hope they don't sell him mm-hmm. um, because I love to have a player like Draxler on a squad. So talented, extremely professional, and even with few minutes, he has been getting action, but he, he has been getting goals. So he has not been the main focus and he has not been excellent. Um, but he's made the best of what he's had, and I think yeah. he's a very valuable player. So I I would really prefer they not sell him. And um, Kara, yeah, I, I think I was kind of sad at the beginning of the season because I thought he might be just a Benjamin Stambouli 2.0. Yeah. Um, but he's he's turned it around. It seems like the squad is behind him. Um, he's he's playing he's playing interesting football in these last few matches, and hopefully he will he will uh, ride on that form to to continue his development. Okay, we gotta stop. We gotta <laughs> stop. We gotta stop. Uh, <laughs> thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, it had been a, a little too long. We did great though. Um, back to back to back podcast, and and when there was not the 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 team podcast, uh, Mark, you stepped in, and. Um, I think our audience is growing. Uh, we are yeah. now uh, part of a podcast consortium um, on on a Australian website. Um, uh, I think it's the only 24-hour soccer talk on earth, and it, it's podcasted online, of course, from Australia. Um, reasons. We are decent, apparently, and that's good to hear. We got really good feedback from from our audience. We get more and more Patreon uh, uh, supporters, and that's a wonderful thing. And also because we are not clickbait. We speak with our heart. We have some football knowledge. We don't have a boss telling us what to do. We don't have to bring money in the bank. So we don't use those sleazy methods of getting attention from potential paying customers. And that's why podcasts are slowly but surely taking over the, the football media all over the world. Alléluia. Um, thank you for wasting an hour and a half listening to PSG talking. Uh, we hope you will waste a lot more time in the near future. 
We love you all, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.